Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. We now have our Bible reading, so if you would take your, your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 5 to 10. This is the message we heard from Him and declared to you. God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. Well, we... We continue our series through the Lord's Prayer where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer line by line. And then today we've got to the line which is found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. And it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so this request is all about asking for forgiveness. And what we discover over here is that there's a very real link and a very real correlation between the forgiveness we receive from God and the forgiveness we give to other people. But today we're going to be focusing on the first part. We're going to be focusing on asking God for forgiveness. And then next week we're going to be looking at the second part on forgiving other people and how these two are linked together. And so the first part we're looking at today is all about asking God to forgive us. But why are we asking God to forgive our debts? Why debts? I mean, what happens if we're not in debt? In Luke's version, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, forgive us our sins. So what is it? Is it debts or sins? And of course, there have been many versions of the Lord's Prayer, as you will all be aware. And in the past, traditionally, the the Anglicans used to pray, forgive us our trespasses. They used the word trespasses. Whereas traditionally in the past, nonconformists like Baptists would use the word debts, forgive us our debts. And there was a joke that said the reason why Anglicans used the word trespasses was because... Most of them were landowners. And so naturally, trespassing was very important to them. Whereas most Baptists were very poor and in debt. So naturally, forgiveness of debts was very important to them. Well, so the joke goes. But the real reason why we have these two words is because in Aramaic, the language Jesus would be speaking, it only has one word for both debts and sin. The Aramaic word koba means debts, both debts and sin. And so when this word that Jesus used was translated into Greek, Matthew used the Greek word for debt, whereas Luke used the Greek word for sins. But I think there's a lot in the idea of debts. And I can understand why in Aramaic they only have one word for both debts and sin. Because when you wrong someone, when you offend someone, you owe them. 
You owe them an apology. You might owe them compensation. You are in their debt. And when we offend God, we owe God. We're in God's debt. And also take note that this request starts with the word and. And forgive us our debts. Now that's significant. All the other requests stand alone. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation. It's only the last two requests that have the word and. And it's as if Jesus is saying daily bread is not enough to sustain life. Food is not enough. You also need forgiveness and deliverance from temptation. And so what we discover over here is that we all need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. You see, in the Lord's Prayer, we've been praying, your kingdom come, haven't we? And the whole idea of God's kingdom coming is about asking God to come and sort out all the mess in the world. We're effectively crying out for justice. We want God to come and bring justice. There's so much injustice in the world and we want God to come and sort it out and bring his justice. There's so much evil and corruption and greed in the world and we're asking God to come and sort it out, bring justice, bring his kingdom, judge all this evil. But soon as we do that, we suddenly say to ourselves, oops, there's a problem. See, if we're asking God to come and judge all evil, there's a problem. And this is the problem. There's evil in my heart. You see, there's not just evil out there in the world. There's evil in my heart. And if I'm honest, I have to admit that I'm innately selfish and greedy and self-centered. And I often say careless and thoughtless things that hurt other people, even those who I love the most. And I often have regrets. I wish I could go back in time and redo things, but I can't. I'm powerless. And so I'm left with regrets and guilt. And so we all need forgiveness. And we are all in God's debt. We owe God because we've offended God. We offend God by the things we do and by the things we fail to do. We, we offend God when we do hurtful things, when we say hurtful things, when we think unkind thoughts. Or when we fail to do kind things, good things, loving things for other people. When we simply turn a blind eye to the suffering of other people, pretending it's not there while we go on and, and eat, drink, and be merry, that offends God. When we hurt other people by the things we do or by failing to do loving, kind things, we offend God. When we do things to people, people who are created in the image of God, people who are the, the children of God, we offend God. And when we make a mess of the world and we make a mess of God's creation, 
we offend God. We're in God's debt because we owe God. And so we all need forgiveness. We need forgiveness daily, just as we need daily bread. Because we all have guilt. Now, there are many ways that people try to deal with their guilt. Some people simply deny it. Pretend they don't have guilt. Ignore it. Claim they don't have any regrets. They don't need forgiveness. They don't have any guilt. Others blame shift. Shift the blame onto someone else. We see this with Adam and Eve, don't we? When, when, when Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit which God tells them not to eat, and God comes to Adam, Adam says, It's Eve's fault. The woman you put here with me, she gave it to me. And Eve says, it's, it's the snake's fault. He deceived me. And the poor snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> we shift the blame. Blame shifting. Or we make excuses. We try and excuse it. Justify ourselves. Yes, I, I committed adultery, but did you see what she was wearing? Did you see how she came on to me? Oh yes, I said those vindictive comments on Twitter, but, but did you see, hear what they said about me? Oh, I can understand how some people have taken offense and found my comments to be racist or homophobic, but, but I didn't mean it like that. We try to ex- make excuses and justify ourselves. All of this is just a form of denial. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Others, of course, do admit it. But they admit that, that they have regrets and, and, and that they, they have guilt. That they admit it, but they simply don't know what to do about it. They'll go, and see, go for counseling. They, they will, uh, you know, they'll see a psychiatrist who, who, who can, can identify the problem. He can analyze the problem. He can explain the problem. But he can't solve the problem. Oh, he can explain. Oh, the reason you, you, you've got all these regrets, the reason you, you riddled with guilt is because in the past you did this and you hurt those people and now, and now you feel guilty and you have regrets. He can explain it, but he can't remove the guilt. Now, of course, sometimes guilt can be misplaced. It can be a misplaced guilt. In that case, a counselor can be extremely helpful. I've had experiences where people have come with, with misplaced guilt. They feel guilty. They, feel they have all these regrets, but they, they're just trying to live up to unrealistic expectations of their parents or whatever. And as soon as you point that out, it's immediately liberating and free. In that situation, a counselor can, can be extremely beneficial. But what if the guilt is real? What if you've hurt someone? What if God is offended? You see, counseling can only take you so far. It can identify the problem, it can analyze the problem, it can explain the problem, but it can't solve the problem. It can't remove the guilt. What's the solution? Well, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, And the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. The blood of Jesus is referring to Jesus' death on the cross for us. It's only Jesus' death on the cross that can purify us from all sin, that can remove our guilt. That's what it means to be purified of all sin. It means to remove our guilt. Only the death of Jesus can remove our guilt so we can experience forgiveness. Why? 
why can't God just simply forgive us? Why does Jesus have to die? The best answer I've come to this, uh, found to this question is found in the book Exclusion and Embrace by Miroslav Volf. Volf is now, he, he now teaches at, at Yale Divinity School, but many years ago he found himself with a problem. He found himself with this question. How could he, as a Croatian Baptist, love his Serbian Orthodox neighbor after all the terrible things the Serbs had done to his country? How could he forgive them? Now, I dipped into this book many years ago while I was still in Bible college, and his, his basic argument is this. Before there can be an embrace, there has to be exclusion. Before there can be an embrace, before there can be forgiveness, before there can be reconciliation, there has to be exclusion. Whether we're dealing with international relationships or one-to-one relationships or with our relationship with God, evil needs to be named and confronted. Only then can you move to an embrace. You see, you can't, you can't just pretend, oh, it's not really, it wasn't that bad, or, or don't worry about it, it really doesn't matter. You can't just say that, you can't just pretend nothing happened. If you do that, if you pretend, look, oh, don't worry about it, it wasn't so bad, just ignore it, you will never be able to truly embrace. You'll never find true reconciliation and forgiveness. Only when evil and the evildoer is identified and named, can you move to embrace. Only then can those who have been deeply hurt and wounded embrace those who have deeply hurt and wounded them. Exclusion, then embrace. And this principle of exclusion and embrace is Profoundly demonstrated and seen in the Commission for Truth and Reconciliation that was led by Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa. When apartheid ended in South Africa, when white dominance over a majority black population ended, and when there was the racial tension was at fever pitch, the Bishop Desmond Tutu led a Commission for Truth and Reconciliation. This is probably the most extraordinary sign of the power of the Christian gospel that the world has ever seen. In the same room, you had white security forces and black guerrillas, terrorists, freedom fighters, sitting in the same room and both of them confessing publicly to all the violent, horrible crimes they committed. Truth. And as a result of those confessions, the family members of those who were murdered and tortured were for the first time able to begin that process of real grieving and were able to start to contemplate the possibility of forgiveness, of moving forward, of no longer being held back by anger and hatred and bitterness. Reconciliation. Rather than criminal trials, truth was told, 
Forgiveness was offered and reconciliation was achieved. Exclusion and embrace. Without truth, without exclusion, you can never have true forgiveness, true reconciliation, and embrace. On the cross, the cross is God's exclusion. On the cross, evil is identified and named. God doesn't say, oh, don't don't worry about it. It wasn't that bad after all. Oh, the way you hurt the people, the way you messed up the planet, don't worry about it. It's not so important. No. He says, this is very important. This is serious. There's a price to be paid. There's a debt you owe, and it needs to be dealt with. Sin needs to be dealt with. If you try and just pretend nothing really happened, let's just ignore it. You can never truly embrace. And on the cross, sin is dealt with. Jesus pays the price. Jesus pays the debt that we owe by offering his life for us. So that we can embrace. The cross is God's exclusion and God's embrace. For on the cross, something happens, something mysterious, something profound, something of cosmological significance. For on the cross, all sin comes on to Jesus. All sin from the time of Adam to the time of the very last person to ever live. All sin comes upon Jesus. And Jesus effectively says, lay all the blame on me. I will take all the guilt. I will pay the price. I will pay the price of this debt so that there can be reconciliation. So that there can be Embrace. Cross is God's exclusion and embrace. But in order to receive this forgiveness, we need to admit our guilt. That there needs to be truth before there can be reconciliation. There needs to be exclusion before there can be embrace. And in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sins. We need to admit our guilt. We need to declare the truth. And if we deny it, if we don't admit it, it will still have power over us. Psychology will tell you that the things you deny will actually control you. The things that you keep hidden that you keep secret, that you keep in the dark, will actually have a power over you. They will control you. You will be addicted to you. I mean, you'll be addicted to it. But soon as you admit it, soon as you bring it out into the open, soon as you bring it into the light, it no longer has power over you. And the guilt is removed. Second, if we don't admit it, we will be weighed down with guilt. We won't be able to experience life and enjoyment of life. We won't be able to experience that intimate relationship with God. In fact, we will experience a barrier between us and God. Even if it's something small, we'll feel guilty about it, and that guilt will become a barrier between us and God. We won't be able to experience His presence. God will feel distant. God will feel alienated from us. Just like Adam and Eve, we'll be hiding, we'll be ashamed, and so we will hide from God. 
It's not that God's withdrawn his presence from us. Remember the story. God comes out into the garden looking for Adam and Eve. God doesn't withdraw his presence, but because of our guilt, we hide, we are ashamed. And this is the problem. It's kind of a catch-22. Because we are guilty, we are unable to admit our guilt. Because we are guilty, we feel ashamed and we want to hide. And it prevents us from being able to admit our guilt so that we can have reconciliation. So what's the solution? How can there be reconciliation? The only solution is for the innocent party to take the guilt of the guilty party upon themselves. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. He says, I'll take all the blame, I'll take all the guilt, put it upon me. And he does that so that we can be reconciled there. This is a profound demonstration of love. That's how much God loves you. And when we grasp this love of God, it enables us to be able to come into the presence of God and ask for forgiveness because we know that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. What's your motivation? What's your motivation for asking for forgiveness, for admitting your guilt? Is it fear? Fear of God? Fear of consequences? Fear of what might happen? If you don't, in the past, there were some Christians who felt you you could never come into the presence of God, you could never enter the presence of God unless you had confessed all your sins, unless you had asked for forgiveness. You, You couldn't come into church. The first thing you had to do before you came into church was to confess your sins. Because if you didn't confess your sins, there might be trouble. Fear. Is that your motivation? If that's your motivation, you've missed the whole point. That's not the kind of confession God wants. That's not the kind of relationship God wants. That won't bring you into that intimate relationship with God. When we come into the presence of God and we're going to admit our guilt, we realize we're coming into the presence of our loving Father. See, the order in the Lord's Prayer is significant. It doesn't start with, forgive us our debts. It starts with our Father in heaven, our Abba Father, our Daddy, our Daddy who loves us so much that He died for us. And then it moves on to Halloween in His his name, simply adoring Him for who He is and for what He's done for us. And it's out of that. It's out of just marveling at his love and his grace, that, that we, we suddenly become aware of our, our sin and we, we want to admit it. When we realize how, how God is such a tender, loving father, we think, well, how, how could I possibly do this to him? When we realize that God loves us and accepts us unconditionally already, it motivates us, it moves us to come into his presence and admit Our guilt. It's the love of God that motivates us. To go into God's presence. And when we do, we need to admit our guilt. But we need to be specific. We need to name it and declare it. Look, it's okay at the beginning of your walk of faith to generally confess that I'm sinful and I need forgiveness. But as we progress on our walk of faith, we need to be specific. We need to name it. We need to declare it. 
We mustn't blame shift. We mustn't make excuses. We mustn't try to minimize it. We need to declare it. Name it. Take ownership of it. Take full responsibility. And in doing so, you'll be released from its power. You'll be released from guilt. And it leads to forgiveness and purification. Take note, it doesn't just say that God will forgive you, but he will also purify you from all your sins. That means our guilt will be removed. It will be blotted out. It will be remembered no more. The slate will be wiped clean. I can remember when I was still in high school, we, we had an evangelist who came. This is many years ago. We had an evangelist who, who came to our school and he said, on judgment day, they're going to pull down this big screen and they're going to play a video of every single dirty, filthy, sinful thing you've ever done. And everyone you know is going to be there. Your mother's going to be there. Now, I don't know if they've got a videotape or if they've updated to a DVD or if you can just simply stream it off a celestial internet or something. But if they do, I know this. Jesus has erased the tape. It's going to be a blank tape because our guilt has been removed. It's remembered no more. It's blotted out. The slate is wiped clean. That's the good news. You see, Jesus didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. Have you experienced this forgiveness? Have you experienced this forgiveness personally? I heard a testimony of a, of a, of a, of a girl who, who was a drug addict and a prostitute. She felt powerless to change. She felt unloved. She felt dirty. She went and she did an Alpha course. And at the end of the Alpha course, she put her faith in Jesus. After the Alpha course, she was sharing her testimony with the church. And it was extraordinary. What, what, what stood out was she stood up in the front and she simply said, Clean. I feel clean. Now, this is quite an extreme case. But we can all experience that forgiveness. We can all have that experience of feeling forgiven and clean. Have you experienced this forgiveness? Let's pray. Just remain in an, in an attitude of prayer and as you do so, just reflect for a moment. Just, just think if God feels distant to you. Perhaps you're not aware of his presence. Maybe there's something in your life that is making you feel guilty. And this has driven a wedge between you and God. Making God feel very distant. Making intimacy with God impossible. Robbing you of the joy of salvation. And let's just spend a few moments in silence and allow God to search our hearts and expose any guilt that we need to admit to God. And we'll spend a few moments in silence, and then we'll say the general confession. I'm going to ask Matthew, he'll put it up on the screen. We'll say the general confession together. So let's spend a few moments 
in silence. Let's say the general confession together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has sinned against you and against your children in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we are truly sorry and repent of all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon us, pardon us and deliver us from all our sins, confirm and strengthen us in all goodness and keep us in eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.